Well, I'd like to give you some assurance that as elders, we spend many hours considering what to preach on. And sometimes we think really, really hard to think of a series that we can preach on. And we've done that. But we haven't told you about it. So on the screen behind me, this is our new series on the church entitled, For Her, He Died. And you will recount that a few weeks ago we had Taiwo preaching on uh, worship. We had Jazz Potter away from London last week preaching on mission in the church. And as we go forward in the next few months, we'll be looking at fellowship, uh, we're looking at a, a people with vision, preaching, leadership in the church, ministry of the Holy Spirit, giving in the church, and every member ministry, and the Eucharist. So lots of different aspects that we're going to be looking at about the church. So apologies for not mentioning the fact that we've started a series. You may have seen our um, congregation in Chester Street. They started a few weeks ago and they have been using the graphics and that sort of stuff. So we're slightly behind. But this morning I am thrilled to invite our very own Becca Oliver to come and preach to us. Come on, Becca. Hello. Can I I phone you? Yes, please. Father God, I just want to thank you for Becca. I thank you for the gift she is to us. And we ask, Holy Spirit, you fill her afresh as she brings your word to us. And this word goes forth. It it is going to act as a banner like Jesus over us as we look to you. And you are going to change lives as she preaches this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Good morning. Um, As Ian just said, my name's Becca. Hello. Um, And I oversee the students and 20s here at Emmanuel with my husband, John, um, which is a brilliant job. Um, Students, cheer, do something. Students, yay! Thanks. Um, (laughs) um, So I've been in Durham for just over six years. I studied here as a student um, at Trevelyan College, and I graduated three years ago studying English literature, which was a brilliant degree. Um, if anyone else, there's some students that were dancing there. Yeah, great. Some English lit students. Wonderful. Um, and I've been a part of Emmanuel for all of those six years. I love this church. Um, I've grown here. I've been nurtured. And it's a real privilege to be able to share with you guys this morning. Um, and not only that, along with the general privilege of sharing, um, we're working through one of my absolute favorite topics to think about, which is the church. Um, And even more so within that, I get to talk about fellowship in the church, um, which is an amazing privilege. So I'm going to read a passage of scripture and then I'm going to pray. If you have a Bible, then please grab it, have a look at it. Um, We're going to be looking at a book called 1 Corinthians, um, which is a letter that a missionary called Paul writes to a church in Corinth, which is in modern day Greece. And he just gives some outlines of things that they as a church should be pursuing, working towards. There's a little bit of kind of get your act togetherness of it. But this chapter is is a bit different. So we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 12 from verses 12 to 27. 
Um, and I'm just going to read it all out. Um, I've prepared something to say this morning, but the power comes from this book. The power doesn't come from me. Um, and so as I share, I really encourage you to read it, to um, look at it carefully, and to consider that these words are the words of God. They're breathed out by him. Um, and so this is where the power is. So I'm just going to read verses 12 to 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow the greater honour, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacks it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Lord, I thank you for these words that you speak to us in scripture for the truths that they speak to us and this morning I pray that the power of this word would be manifest in my speaking God I have eloquent words or speech to explain things but I have the Holy Spirit so Lord I pray that by your spirit you would empower me to speak and that you would make our hearts good soil to receive what you have for us this morning Amen um, so this is a beautiful topic it's something really dear to my heart um, and we're going to be looking at fellowship and community. Um, the word in the New Testament, the, the Greek word, the original word, is used about 19 times. Um, and it's kind of interchangeably used for fellowship, community, participation, shared life. So I'm going to use fellowship, but the kind of vastness of what fellowship actually means is probably not contained in that word. Um, but it's scattered all through the Bible. And this is just one such illustration um, that will hopefully help us to see what God means when he talks about fellowship um, and I don't know what you think of when you think of that word um, I grew up in a wonderful home with parents that kind of made community a part of everything that we did um, we had um, we were blessed with a big house and we had a room in the back where we always had people um, I remember every single day basically in the playground I'd go up to my mum and say can so and so come to dinner um, and then we'd have like three extra people around the table um, or at the weekends there'd be people coming in and out of the house and community is something for me um, that is so ingrained in my faith um, 
it is people that drew me to Christ. Even though Christ was pursuing me, it's people that told me about him. And it's people that have kept me following him. Fellowship is fundamental to us being followers of Jesus. And perhaps you've been hurt by church community. Perhaps there have been people that have harmed you. Perhaps you've struggled with fellowship. Maybe your only experience of fellowship is the coffee before and after the service. And even then you try to arrive just as the service starts and run off just as it ends so that you don't have to chat to people. And if that's your experience, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry if you've been hurt by the church. I'm sorry if you feel like your experience of fellowship has been shallow. Because actually, community and fellowship are ingrained in the heart of God. They are fundamental to who God is and they are important to him. They are on his heart. God himself is in fellowship. Father, Son and Holy Spirit are in a beautiful community fellowship together. And it is out of the overflow of that that we were created. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we grasp more of this truth, more of the depth and the richness and the goodness of the fellowship that God calls us into. Um, And as this passage suggests, how we treat each other is so, so important. Community is not a nice idea or an optional extra. It is an objective reality of who we are as believers in Christ. Um, But to understand this, we need to first understand where our primary place of community or fellowship is. And that is with God. God is our primary foundational source of fellowship. Um, The image of this passage is about a body, um, and it doesn't say it explicitly here, but elsewhere in the Bible, um, Jesus is referred to as the head of that body. He is the one over whom the body is kept. The truth is that if you believe and have given your life to Jesus, which is the case for many of you in this room, something amazing has happened and you have been united with Christ. Um, It is a spiritual reality that I don't fully understand, but when you are a Christian, it's not a fluffy sentiment, you are in Christ. That is where you are. You are seated with Christ. And so this is our primary fellowship because we are in him. We are part of a body, as this passage says. You are the body of Christ, but we are also individually members of it, people that have been grafted into the body and are now in Christ. And if you're not yet a believer here this morning, this is what is on offer to you. The God who created you in that fellowship of Father, Son and Holy Spirit that I talked about, we reject him every single day. Our sin gets in the way, the stuff that we do wrong. But in the saving death of Jesus on the cross, we have that way made to us to reconcile us to that God. So that that fellowship that we broke by our sinfulness can be reconciled. We can be in fellowship and community with the one who created us how he always intended it. And if you are a believer this morning, then this is the glorious fellowship that you get to enjoy. This is the truth. The objective reality is that if you are a Christian, then you are in Christ. Um, And your responsibility is to cultivate this fellowship. Um, I don't know if you have any relationships where you just kind of let them be, and then they flourish. I don't have any like that. I need to put in the work to cultivate friendships, relationships with uh, my husband, with my family, with my friends. None of them just happen. 
And the same is true of God. He pursues us and he loves us no matter what we do, no matter whether we run from him, as Lindsay was sharing earlier. But we have to cultivate fellowship with him. And John 15, which is an account of Jesus' life by one of his closest friends, gives us a helpful picture of Jesus as a vine and us individually as branches from it. You can't have a branch that bears fruit if it's just kind of stapled onto the tree. That's not going to do anything. You have to be rooted, stuck into the vine and abiding in it. That's the word that John uses. We have to abide in Christ. And this means that we have to spend time with God every single day. That might be a challenge to a lot of you. It's a challenge to me. But the call of fellowship with God is that we spend time with him every day. We need to know his word. We need to know the Bible. We need to pray. And it's helpful for me to do it in the morning, but it needs to be a rhythm throughout the day. It needs to be something that we constantly do. Imagine, as is often, often the case with my relationship with God, Imagine if with John, my husband, I spent time with him on a Monday morning and then thought, oh, I'll do, and then didn't speak to him until next Monday. What kind of a relationship would that be? And not only that, what if I only spent time with him in the morning and then didn't talk to him again for the rest of the day? What if I didn't make any decisions with him in mind? What if I just spent five minutes with him, thought, that's enough, probably didn't even listen to what he had to say to me, just spoke at him, and then walked off, spent the rest of my day, and then came back the next morning. What kind of relationship would that be? And my relationship with God, your relationship with God, your fellowship with the Lord is much more important, much closer, much deeper, much more fundamental to how you live your life than the relationship with a spouse, a family member, a friend, all of those pale in insignificance with our relationship with God. The Westminster Catechism, which is a document which teaches on various church doctrines, says at the start, what is the chief end of man? And it is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So that's what you're called for. That's what you're made for. That is your chief end, to glorify God, but to enjoy him. That's what he calls us to, to enjoy the relationship that we were created for. And we can do nothing without him. Um, I think of my own life that there's probably like three sorts of ways that I kind of live. Um, And I kind of put this in an analogy of trying to lift up a log. Don't know if that's helpful. Um, But the first way is that I kind of think, oh, I can do this by myself. I can pick up this log. I can move it. Um, No problem. Thanks, God, for giving me the ability to move this log. Um, And the second way is that I say, God, I need your help to move this log. If you pick up this end, then I'll pick up that end, and together we can move the log. Um, But what I think the reality is, is that the log isn't going to move unless God moves it. I can ask for his help. Yes, and that's a good thing to ask for his help. But ultimately, God is the one who is able, and it is not me. And I kid myself if I think that I can do anything without him. We need to constantly depend on God. We need to abide in him. And so our primary fellowship is with God. But a beautiful truth is that as we are saved and placed in Christ, we are immediately incorporated into his body. And this is what this passage talks about. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We in this room are the body of Christ. 
across the world, everyone who believes in Jesus is the body of Christ. This is an objective truth for you, which means that as we gather this morning and as we worship, we are part of the body of Christ. But later on today, I imagine churches across the entire world are going to be gathering and worshipping Jesus. And they are also part of that body. The objective reality is that we are in the body with every believer throughout history across the entire world. And this is an objective truth of a oneness, but it also should lead us into an experiential action. It shouldn't just be a truth that we are in the body, but it should lead us to do something. And we must shift ourselves from the mindset that it's all about me. We live in a culture, and I see it all the time amongst student communities, that it's about me. I'm the one that matters. It's me first. And then everything else can kind of come afterwards as long as it fits in with me coming first. Actually, the counterculturalness of Christianity is that it's others. We have to shift from thinking individually because we are part of a body. We cannot think individually. We have to think corporately because this is the reality of what we have been grafted into in the body of Christ. And this passage not only says that we are part of one another, but it says in verse 15 and 16, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. It's not just that we're a part of one another, it's that we belong to one another. With the same closeness as my hand is a part of my arm, That is how we should be acting towards one another. Every person in this room, though we can't all have physical closeness or emotional closeness, we are in an objective reality that you are as close to me if you are in Christ as my hand is to my arm. Even if we've never had a conversation, you are as close to me as my hand is to my arm. And this isn't just a mere tolerance. This is something God challenged me on as I was writing this. So often I just tolerate people in the church. And I don't know if that's just you. I really hope it's not, so I'm not just preaching to myself. But there are people that irritate me. There are people that frustrate me. There are people that do stuff that I don't understand that I wouldn't do in the way that they do it. And I tolerate them. Sometimes I don't even do that. But I tolerate them. But actually the calling is that if they are as close to me as my hand is to my arm, I cannot merely tolerate them. They are a part of me. They belong to me. And so it's not just a tolerance, it's a love. It's a belonging, it's a closeness. Jesus chooses the church. I definitely wouldn't have done it the way Jesus does it, but praise God that he does. But his plan A to bring about the kingdom on earth is to use us. His plan A is to use the body of Christ in fellowship with one another to bring about his purposes on the earth. He hasn't got a plan of like a ray of light coming down and everything being saved and then thinking maybe if that doesn't work, I'll use people. He's going to use people and he's chosen us and he's going to use us. And Jesus loves the church so much that later in scripture, it describes him as a bridegroom waiting for his bride and that bride is the church. He doesn't simply tolerate her. He loves her. And even more than he loves her, as this sermon series says, he died for her. 
He laid down his life for her. Jesus chooses the church. And so he doesn't give us the option to not choose it. We cannot have Jesus without the church. He doesn't say that that's an option. You cannot choose a personal relationship with God and then neglect the body for which he died. You cannot choose to spend time with God on your own and maybe listen to a good sermon or two or listen to a Bethel album, not that I'm saying that's a bad thing, and not come to church on a Sunday morning. He doesn't give you that option. If you are a part of Christ, which you are if you believe in him, you choose the church as well. Um, We have to love it as Jesus loves it because it is part of us. We belong to it. We belong to one another. And so the question is, how do we love it? How do we love the church? It's really hard sometimes to love the church, to love this thing that Jesus loves, to love the people in it individually, but also the corporate body. But fortunately, Paul helps us here when we read through this passage in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, And I've just done a few points that I think might be helpful for us to think about. Um, So first of all, We must cooperate and not compete. Um, Verse 26 says, If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. I'm a very competitive person. Um, At my parents' house, we're not allowed to play articulate because I get a bit too angry. Um, And I can be very competitive in games, especially if they involve quizzes or trivia or whatever. And I let that sometimes feed into my spiritual life, and it is a bad, bad thing. Um, At Rising Tide, which is a conference exploring the prophetic that's going to be happening at the end of November, um, last year um, we were spending some time in worship and people were sharing uh, prophetic words, and someone shared a word for somebody um, that I felt was just what I needed God to say to me. Um, It was about calling and purpose in life. And this person called these things out in this person that I wanted God to say to me, and he didn't. And I cried for the entire evening because I had let competitiveness drift into my spiritual life such that when that person received that word, that wonderful word that told them about plans and purposes for them, I just couldn't be happy for them. I couldn't rejoice with them because I was so concerned that I wasn't being honoured. But actually, if we belong to one another, I was being honoured because she belongs to me. It's not someone separate to me. And I have to rejoice. We are not competing in the body of Christ. We are cooperating for the purposes and plans that God has for us. So we must cooperate, not compete. We must speak well of each other. There is absolutely no room for gossip or slander in the body of Christ. And I'm preaching to myself there. There's no room for um, talking about people behind their backs. There's no room for saying, oh, I wouldn't have done it that way. Why would they do it like that for talking about anything that we do in the church? We must speak well of each other. We cannot say to someone, as it says in verse 21, I have no need of you. We have to speak well of each other. We must share our need and be generous. Um, In Acts, which is Alan's favorite book, Alan loves Acts, um, there's in Acts 2 an account of the early church where it talks about the way that the church operated. And we see the body shares with one another. They give 
of themselves, both in time and in words and encouragement, but also physically they give of themselves. Um, True community looks like sharing our money. It looks like sharing our resources. It looks like sharing our possessions. It looks like sharing encouragement and words and time as well. Of course it does. But we must share our need and give away. So nothing that you own is yours. It all belongs to God. No money that you have is yours. It all belongs to God. And so give it away to the body of Christ. When you hear that someone has a need, maybe they haven't got a job and they're lacking money, or they need a meal because they're so busy at work that they can't um, have time to cook dinner, it is our responsibility as a body to give generously to those people and to give into the body of Christ. For the gift day next week, it's important if you are part of the body and a member of this church that you prayerfully consider giving into the work of the church. Because where you sow your money, that is where you sow your heart. And so we need to be generous. And we also need to share when we're in need. That's part of being part of the body. We have to belong to one another. We need to be vulnerable when we have need. We need to be vulnerable when we don't have enough money. That doesn't mean like we come up the front and share with absolutely everyone, I don't have any money. But maybe if you're a part of a community or there's someone that you know really well, actually being like, I really am in need. I'm desperate. I need something. Because as a body, we belong to one another and we can share what we have and be generous. Secondly, we must share what we've been given in terms of the church context. Um, We all have a specific function that this passage talks about. Some of us are hands, some of us are eyes, some of us are ears. Functionally, I don't really know what that actually looks like, but we're all something. Um, And we need to fulfill what we've been given, the function that we've been given. And that means that we need to bring stuff along to church in terms of our spiritual gifts. Um, Each of you has a spiritual gift. I don't know if you know what it is or if you don't believe that that's true, but it's true. You have a spiritual gift. God has given you something to equip and build up the church. And that can take its um, form in so many different ways. You might be gifted in teaching or leadership. You might be gifted in helping or serving or worship or hospitality. And the list goes on and on. Um, But the important thing is that we need to share whatever gifts God's given us. Because they aren't to stagnate inside us, they're to build up the church, the body of Christ. And when you choose not to share, you deprive the body of what it needs. So if you have a prophetic word and you don't bring it, you're depriving the body. If Lindsay didn't share her word, then that person who needed to have that freedom from whatever they were holding on to would not have been released this morning. God can do a work without us, it's true. But he chooses to use us. And so we need to step out. We need each other. I need you. You need me. And so we need to share what God has given us. We need to weep together. Um, Christian life is not easy. In fact, it says that when we choose Jesus, we choose the narrow path. Suffering is something that's going to happen. And it will happen to varying degrees for each of us. But the call for us as a body here in verse 26 is if one member suffers, all suffer together. And so we weep together. If I stub my toe, my whole body knows about it. It's not like anything can happen to my body without the rest of me knowing. If I'm in pain, then the rest of me will cry and weep and suffer. 
And the same is true of our body, the body of Christ. That when one of us is in pain, we suffer together. We weep the same tears. We bleed the same blood. That's part of the calling on us to be the body of Christ. And so when we think of our brothers and sisters around the world that are persecuted for what they believe, who are a threat of arrest or execution or have to worship God in underground churches, we can weep with them, we can suffer with them, we can stand with them even though we don't physically, we aren't physically with them. We can weep together. And we must seek to glorify Christ. As I said, our primary fellowship and community is with God himself. He is the head of the body. And so we must glorify him in what we do. If fellowship with him is our first goal, it must be central to our fellowship with one another. It must be a part of everything we do. It must be the foundation and the objective that Christ is glorified in our midst. And what does this mean? I don't think it means that we constantly pray when we meet with each other or we only have the Bible open and we don't say any other words that aren't in the Bible. I don't think that's what it means. But it means that all of these things that I've mentioned before, that they're true of us, that we speak well of each other, that we speak about what God's teaching us, what he's showing us, how he's been at work in our life, that we know one another's stories of how Jesus has saved us. If you're not already in an Emmanuel community, then you need to join one. You need to be a part of a community whose focus and central purpose is to pray, worship, open the word with one another, to encourage one another, because it is in the midst of that that Jesus is glorified. If you um, aren't coming on a Sunday morning regularly, you need to come on a Sunday morning. It's not a legalistic thing. It's not like you have to be here or Jesus is going to be angry with you. He's not going to be angry with you, but you need it. You need the body. You need one another. And you need to be in a place where Christ is glorified. Because wherever Christ is glorified is the best place to be. And above all, we need to put on love. It's no coincidence that Paul's letter here to the church in Corinth is followed by one of the most famous passages about love, not only in the Bible, but probably anywhere. If you go to most weddings, you'll probably hear 1 Corinthians 13 read. And it says in the first part of it, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The love is the ligament that holds the body together. It is the cement that binds the spiritual house that is the church together. And the love that we're talking about here is love that only comes from fellowship with God. It only comes from knowing the love of the Father. It says in a book later in the Bible, we love because he first loved us. The only way that we can do any of this stuff, the only way we can love each other, serve each other, belong to each other, is in fellowship with Christ because it is he that empowers us to love one another. The love poured out for you in the saving death and resurrection of Christ Jesus says that you can love because he has loved you.
I'm going to pray, and I'd like to invite the band to come up. Um, and we're just going to have some time worshipping that God with whom we have fellowship. Um, but if anything I said particularly strikes you, there's going to be some people at the front who are really happy to pray for you. Um, maybe you've been hurt by the church before. Maybe that's something that you'd love prayer for, that you need healing and being able to forgive them. Or maybe you just don't really know what this is all about because you don't know Jesus. And these guys would absolutely love the opportunity to pray with you to get to know Jesus. Um, But if any of this struck you, please pray. If any of the words that were shared during the worship time earlier struck you, please receive prayer. Don't leave this place without having had some time to deal with this with God. But I'm just going to pray and then the band will lead us. Father, thank you that you love us with an everlasting love, that you call us into fellowship with you, that we are in you if we are a believer in Jesus. But God, thank you that you don't leave us alone, that you incorporate us into the body of Christ. And God, thank you for each of my brothers and sisters, the other members of the body that are in this room. Lord, help us to learn how to love one another well, how to love the church well, and how to lift your name high. God, would you be in our midst? We thank you, Lord. Amen.